Good afternoon, you're listening to local media this week and uh, we cover issues that affect the county of Clare that are in the media and generally this week we'll be dealing with the Clare Echo and the Clare Champion and uh, we were sort of slightly diminished this week because we're a bit leaderless and rudderless so there's a few of us here that we're going to have to try and keep the show on the road. Uh, John S and uh, Jim are uh, absent for this week but uh, I am glad to report uh, that Pat O'Brien is in the building. Pat, hello to you. Thanks you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Friday slip there. Friday. Yeah, Friday and slip. And David Fleming. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Now, uh, lots to talk about, and as uh, I suppose, we can't really start other than events in Eastern Europe and the effect that they are sort of going to have here. Uh, I think anybody that sort of went to fill their car with petrol or diesel. Uh, We'll say earlier on in the week got a fair shock when they saw that petrol had gone over uh, and diesel had gone over two liter, uh, two euros a liter. Now it's come back down a bit after the government said, "Okay, we're making enough money out of you lads. We'll give you a bit back." But it looks as if some uh, businesses are doing a bit of price gouging and sort of keeping their profits. But anyway, uh, I said that's called uh, capitalism, I think, isn't it, yes, David? It is called the worst, the worst types of capitalism. Now, yeah. I, I went to, I know that I passed through a service station last night and it was 199.9 for petrol. And I needed petrol and I said I'll wait now in the morning and should be back down. But I went over to collect the, the, the papers and I went to Clare Captain and the Clare Echo and when I went in to fill my festival it was still the same price. So I went into the shop and I said to the girl, I said, um, how come the petrol is in town? And she said she didn't know. She only walks there. So. Yeah. 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 I had to fill up and go in. Yeah, I suppose the truck hadn't arrived or else the accountant hadn't pressed the <laughs> minus 15 cent. Yeah, but I think uh, the government said that if anybody had petrol bought, that they, they, would, they, would, they would give them back the, the, the money that, you know, that they had. Um, yeah, the extra the exercise. Obviously, yeah. they're not going, they're not But psychologically, seeing two euro, I thought psychologically a couple of years ago, seeing it over, over a euro was bad yeah. enough. Yeah. But seeing seeing the price of petrol and diesel, and they're all now over two euro, uh, is is quite a psychological blow. But you know we've we've moved from crisis to crisis to crisis, from Brexit to COVID oh. to Ukraine, and I think it's just part of the part of the world we live in. That especially with the Ukraine, because if it continues, and it will seems to be, we'll and if we put our moral compass before our our pockets, we might, we will suffer a little bit. We might actually see rationing. We saw, we saw that the Ukrainians have limited now the, um, they have prevented grain coming out from, now that will affect Africa really more than us, but it, it ultimately if the gas and the oil is, is shut off or partially shut off, that will increase prices here and people will think again. Well, a barrel of oil went down yesterday actually. Because the the oil exporting countries are going to ramp up the amount of oil they they are going to produce yeah. to try and fill the gap where this this Russia uh, uh, that comes over Russia. Yeah, yeah I know. So, I saw President Biden there uh, give a press conference the other day, and he basically he basically said that a lot of the companies in the states had sort of they had plenty of capacity; they just weren't 
using it. But then, you, you know, you talk about OPEC and all the rest of it. Yeah. I, I think it'll be a case of there is capacity there. It's not as if um, we're going to run out of oil or petrol tomorrow. I think for Europe, the issue is gas because a lot of their gas, now ours comes from the Carob, so I think we're okay for another seven or eight years. But for Europeans, uh, that is a big issue. And now the only thing that will mitigate that all going well over the next month or two is that the weather will improve. Yeah. And uh, we exactly. won't, won't need as much of it. But well, anyway. Let's hope for a scorcher of the summer. But, yeah. but just reflecting at the historian in me, now I wasn't there, but in the 1970s we did have an oil crisis mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. There, there was pressure. So for the younger listeners out there who might be thinking the world is about to end, mm-hmm. it's not. People plough through these crises. Uh, you adjust, you make decisions, it spe- it'll speed up certain things. I think it'll speed up the purchase of electric and hybrid cars, and it might hopefully speed up the transition to uh, wind energy. Well, if it speeds up uh, the government to get off their asses and do a bit with money point and uh, get a few offshore turbines, I won't complain. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I suppose we might as well start in relation to Ukraine, and page one of the Echo, Pat, uh, Park McMahon has the main headline there, Claire likely to welcome 1,000 Ukrainians. Yeah, up to 1,000 Ukrainians could be making Claire their home at their fleet <coughs> east of Europe. About 22,200 Ukrainians have arrived in Ireland since the Russian invasion two weeks ago. The government has launched an online portal in conjunction with the Red Cross where people can offer to house the people of Ukraine for periods ranging from six months to one year. Journal Minister James Brown will be for up to 80,000 Ukrainian refugees could flee to Ireland while in a space ex member of the Soviet forces uh, Mauricio Pistello fell 50,000 was an accurate prediction. Well, Chief Executive of Fair County Council, Pat uh, Doring, confirmed they had been requested by the Department of Housing to use discretion and provide accommodation in the wake of the worst refugee crisis since the Second World War. Yeah, now I'm, I'm just going to butt in a second there. Pat, um, where is this housing going to come from? Because are we not in the middle of a housing crisis and have we not been in the middle of a housing crisis according to all our politicians probably for the last 10 or 11 years? But more especially in the last few years. Well, on the way over um, tonight, I was listening to the radio. And they're, they're, um, they have 12,000 12, have committed to this portal that has been in contact. These, these are private, these are private citizens who've, who've offered a room or, or, or whatever, whatever they have. Or whatever they have, yeah. 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 And 7.5 of them are private people that will be taken into their own homes. Yeah. And of course the rest probably would be maybe, maybe some of the homes are yeah. people that would have accommodation, extra accommodation. I think the hotels will be brought back again into yeah. service. Um, yeah, yeah. That'll put pressure, though, in trying to rebuild the tourism industry for the country. But I think you'd probably put these people um, first before tourists. I'd have to say that. But it's always it's as it's it's adding it's adding another crisis on top of a crisis, as Luke has pointed out. It it will put enormous pressure on and. A colleague of mine who's in charge of Doris Limney, a guy named John Lannan, was asked on national radio in the last two weeks, um, would he recommend people opening up their houses to people? And I was fairly certain the way he would respond, but he actually actually responded in, in a very different way. He said, well, 
It's not easy because, remember, these people will need access to schools. They won't have any transport. So offering, offering a room in the middle of the countryside is, is, will be difficult for them. They may have children. They may need access to medical facilities and to other facilities. Yeah. And unless you are prepared to do that, it's rather difficult. So you, you, you have to think about the implications. And I think the government, so even though 12,000 people may have offered, they, each of those now will be assessed. And some of them will be rejected because they will be in the middle of nowhere. I think if you're in a town or a city connected with bus links, schools, medical facilities, uh, you're more likely, the offer will probably be accepted. Yeah, because most of those people uh, coming out of cities, and you can see, you can see the other United Brown, Sky News, and all the all the all the all the, all the, the that's that all been found, and a lot of people are living in those, and they are city people, like you know. there. So and, and it will be difficult. They're already traumatized because of the war. Yeah. Now, I'm not. I'm not God. I don't want it to be out there that Fleming thinks we shouldn't be opening up our house because I, I would be actively thinking about doing the same. But I think you. Uh, and I think it's a great response from us as a society to be able to do this sort of thing. By the way, some people have highlighted where would we be as generous about Afghanis or Syrians when they were looking for refugee status. Let me just put that out there. Luke, there, just to make this a very personal story, the champion tries to bring it home to, the, to us by talking about a number of Ukrainians who are living in Clare. And I'll just pick one of them from Owen Ryan. It's on page four of The Champion. Um, one, one person named Vlada Gorbanova, and the title is, We didn't hear from her for 24 hours and assumed the worst. So I'll just give you a taste of it. Vlada Gorbanova is a relieved woman at the moment, as her grandmother managed to leave her war-torn home in the east of Ukraine, traverse the country and finally cross the Polish border to safety. Vlada, who lives in Ennis and first came to Ireland in 1997, was in Krakow when she spoke to the champion on Wednesday and was looking forward to getting home. She said, we're just trying to sit tight now until our flights on Friday evening. Her grandmother is about to turn 75. Imagine that, 75-year-old woman and, and has been through a traumatic few weeks. As well as having to leave her home behind, it has been a huge ordeal, Vlad said. She's tired, anxious, the whole lot. She's left behind, uh, she's left her life behind, so it's not easy. This woman, of course, work out that 75 years, she would have seen a bit of the, first, uh, the, the Second World War, wouldn't she? So she, um, it's terrible to see that at the same time she was looking to get away from a terrible situation that was still de declining. She's relieved things have got a lot worse since she's left uh, she got one of the last trains out of there so it was relief now just 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 I'll finish by this just saying her route from her hometown of Lysyshanesk she traveled first to Kharkiv now we'll all be familiar with that city which has been bombed, bombed yeah. before going to Kiev, Kiev itself the capital city and then on to Liev in the east of the Ukraine before getting across the borders that's an enormous journey Ukraine as we know is the is bigger than France and having to make your way across the entire country probably on trains and on foot uh, it's enormous yeah. and that's only one story of the thousands yeah. and fair play to the champion for for kind of making it a personal story 
in the Ukraine. And we know that about two million have now left the country. That's nearly half the size of Ireland, the population of Ireland, to put it into that perspective. So I think the papers are reporting, um, as, you, as you said there, the front page are talking about at least a thousand Ukrainians in Clare alone. And I think uh, somewhere else in the paper it says that we could be expecting about 80,000 altogether in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. Now that contrasts with the, I think, the despicable situation in the United Kingdom. We, we have nearly taken in as many as the United Kingdom have taken in. Um, there, I, I was listening to one minister who said, um, one British minister who said, oh, we have security concerns. I mean, that 75-year-old woman from Ukraine is yeah. hardly a security concern. No, but they're, they're being held up because of biometric tests. You have to be biometric and all, all sorts of things done. So anyway, um, we'll, we'll see how, how, how we... Yeah, I, I, suppose the, I suppose the, how would I say, a surprising thing that happened, I suppose, if we were watching uh, the news last weekend, we said, well, uh, Mount Shannon native and Clare Centre Timmy Dooley uh, are, appeared on our TV screens and I see on page three of the champion that Timmy has uh, an article that he has written uh, in relation to it and uh, it starts with this weekend as co-president of the ALD pa ALDE party in Europe I travelled to the Ukraine city of uh, Lviv alongside my MEP colleague Billy Kelleher to meet the city's mayor and also the governor of the region, who renewed their appeal for Europe to implement a no-fly zone and to provide them with more humanitarian assistance and equipment. Now, David, just in relation to that, we said from a historical point of view, if a no-fly zone is created in Ukraine, and if it's breached by Russia, that basically means NATO planes are going to be shooting Russian planes down, and that means probably World War III. Yeah, but that's what that's that's immediate, and that's why NATO doesn't want to do it. And still doesn't absolutely. want to do it, and even though the Ukrainians have been pushing for it, and why wouldn't the Ukrainians push for it? But it's very, very unlikely. And I was listening to our Minister for Foreign Affairs uh, uh, today. We we're going out on we, we were recording this on Thursday, of course, uh, and and his point was, and I, it's probably true that if that were to happen, it would actually make things worse rather than better. Now, you do have to feel sorry for the Ukrainian situation. If we were in their situation, we'd be demanding the exact same things. Um, I, 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 this will be a long war, and the pe Ukrainian people will, will suffer. Um, you go back to the 1930s um, and appeasement, and Britain and France were um, willing, I suppose, or tolerated at least uh, Hitler going into the Sudetenland, into the Czech part of the Czech Republic, um, but said no more when they when they violated po Polish. Mm. We haven't heard yet from the West at, wh at what point NATO would step in. I suppose if Russia attacked another NATO country. Mm. But what, are, what, what is the European Union doing? I mean, they've done um, an awful lot by actually providing arms uh, to the Ukraine, which was a step that yeah. is quite remarkable when you actually think about it. I don't think they've ever done that before as, no, a, as an institution. Especially, especially Germany, when you consider what they've done. Exactly. You know? 
It's but uh, um, like apart from Timmy Dooley just highlighting the problem, I, I, I'm not sure it's a good idea to send. I mean, we have. Uh, do we have 166 TDs? I don't know how many senators we have. If they all went out to the Ukraine, I'm not sure the Ukrainians would appreciate it or anybody else. But, mm. you know, he, he did go and he has highlighted the issue and he is able to explain to us what, what he said. And if you read the article, and we would encourage people, of course, to read the article in full, he talks about what he sees. Um, and he says, I'll just give you a little taste of it. At the border, there are tailbacks of 20 kilometers of cars alongside queues of more than five kilometers of people mm. trying to enter Poland. So that's on foot, right? Um, in order, to, and that's just to enter Poland in order to flee the Russian attacks. So we haven't seen this level of people movement since the Second World War. There was a massive movement in 1945. Mm. Um, Germans leaving uh, parts of what are now Poland, what were then Germany, going, traveling in, in long queues. Um, the same with France, when the Germans actually attacked France in, in 1940. That, they, we haven't seen that, and we're not used to seeing it, and that's yeah, why I think you have this outpouring. There's another story there, Luke, page two, aid convoy rolls out of Venice bound for Ukraine. Like, could you ever imagine such a headline? Yeah. Oh, 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 three weeks before. 50, 50 pennies of donations. Including food, clothes, and medical yeah. items, and all making their way from the from Cape to Poland. Yeah. The non-profit charity WOSP would distribute them to Ukrainian people in need. So it's uh, just chilling. You read them all about it. Yeah. Yeah, it is indeed right, and there's plenty in the front few pages of the champion uh, as well in relation to it. So we'd encourage you if you want to catch up on it to do that. Now we're going to move on. And uh, there's one article, Pat, on page six of uh, the champion, and it's basically, be aware of phony census per personnel. And yeah, I see that today, Luke. Yeah, it's supposed to be the idea just warning people that they probably, probably would be uh, afraid that people would, would, would come and they'd maybe look into the house and they'd be, you know, that's, I'd say that's probably be more... more yeah, fairly more justifiable, Pat, I mean, when you think of the scamming that does go on and yeah. suddenly... Um, may, maybe people may be not actually aware that we are going to have a census, but we are. The census is going to happen. It's yeah. happening on Sunday, April the 3rd. Don't, yeah. um, and people will call to you. They should be wearing an ID around their necks, Next, and you yeah. should ask to have a look at it just to make sure. And and one of them called to me there uh, only in the last few days. They they will look for they will look for information from you. Really, yeah, yeah. How many people do you expect to, to be, be in the your house, household? Yeah. How many males? How many females? But yeah. they shouldn't be looking for things like bank accounts or money <laughs> or anything yeah. like that. And they should provide you with the census form. Uh, as well, but it, it's just to be just to be conscious of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The idea of just warning about the potential for criminals to impersonate census takers, issuing security advice on how to identify legitimate um, enumerators ahead of the census in 2022. People should always be aware of the potential for bogus callers calling to homes pretending to be from different organisations, which could which could include impersonating a census eliminator, says Crime Prevention Officer Sergeant Trina Brooks. So she said, as, as David says, they have the, 20, the 2022 census will take place on, on the night of Sunday, April 12th, which 
5,100 in nominators in dividing and collecting funds and funds every household in the country over a 10-week period from March the 2nd to the 6th. Yeah. So, so I suppose the advice is make sure you're home on that night. Yeah. <laughs> make sure you're yeah, home on that night. Yeah. 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 Yeah, just before we leave the census loop, there's one new innovation in the census this year, which is what they're calling a little time capsule. Um, which won't be revealed for a hundred years. As you know, as you may know, the census is held by the state. All censuses are held for a period of a hundred years so that things like genealogists won't get to see the next census, which is 1926 until 2026. Um, so there, 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 there is a space on the form where you can leave a message for the future, whatever that may be. It could be, it could be we're all doomed. <laughs> or see, see you later or whatever the message is but it's an opportunity I think yeah. it, I think it's nice enough yeah. and if you have children they could even add something now it's unlikely um, it'll probably be their children if they're lucky would actually see those results more likely grandchildren but it's something to think about it might be ET phone home <laughs> <laughs> or whatever way uh, you communicate in your sign right um, I'm going to give a bit of time because we we missed it last week. Uh, events in Doolan with the lifeguard still don't appear to be sorted. And it's on page, Dan Danner uh, has a bit on it on page one and page two of the champion. And it's also in the echo as well, the park has it. And Dan says, former Doolan Coast Guard volunteers have claimed the current reconstitu reconstituted interim unit that has eight members is not fully functional in its current form, more than four months after the previous group was officially disbanded. Last November, Minister of State at the Department of Transport, Hildegard Nocton, asked the Irish Coast Guard to begin the process of reconstituting the unit, which was stood down following the resignation of six volunteers. Now, the article that Dan has is quite detailed and as we know, there was an independent mediator, Kieran Mulvey, who was appointed. But Pat, will you sort of, uh, maybe I read this wrong, but it doesn't seem as if Mr. Mulvey did what he was hoping to do, and that a lot of the uh, individuals concerned were expecting, would say, you know, to be interviewed one-to-one -one so that they could air their grievances you know, rather yeah. than in a group uh, session, but none of that appeared to have happened. Yeah, the PLC only, you know, he came, you know, he came on the one occasion to, to, to uh, down to, to Doolin, and um, I suppose there's, there's a lot, it appears to me there's a lot of falling out between the people involved anyway, and maybe the, all the proper training hadn't been implemented either, so I think it, it appears there's a lot of issues in it. Yeah, David, have you any thoughts on it? It's a very difficult one, and I think we've said it before, for an effective group of people like this, um, you need trust. And that trust is hard to build back when, when you've had sackings. I mean, all of the volunteers were effectively sacked, it says there on page two of the, of the champion piece. And um, they, need, they need 12, I think. They've only got six up and running, so it's obviously not functional from a from a size point of view. Um, so, I, you know, it, this, this, could take, this could take a long time to resolve, and I would hope that 
it's not going to affect people's lives, the unfortunate things that happen at sea. Um, but I do see that Doolin is being supported by the other neighbouring um, life life boats and, and lifeguard stations as well. So yeah, it, it's not ideal. It's not ideal. No. The PLC, uh, it takes five years to become a, a fully trained coxswain for someone who has no experience. So if some of the ten people who don't, or if the ten people don't go back, there is no proper unit. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, another another volunteer claimed that the current group were not as function, not a functional dual and coast guard unit, and were more akin to a management unit. If there is no qualified, experienced members, it is impossible to put this unit together. I, I just wonder, though, is is the volunteer is the volunteer way of doing things the right way? Because almost everything in life now is you have to be almost a professional and a continuous professional training and all of this sort of stuff and if you I, I, I don't know I mean our, our, our fire brigade in many in many towns and villages are, are also on a volunteer basis uh, I just wonder is that is that system fit for purpose anymore but does those people well I suppose the, the I mean the, we the don't the have a fire brigade and a change and well, Basically, we'll say Limerick, and Limerick and Ennis would be full-time full full professionals. Time. Yeah. And we'll say the rural areas, Killaloo, we'll say Scarif, uh, I think. There's not, not one in Tulla, is there? No. No, no you West know, we'll Fair, say, we'll, Yeah, Shannon, yeah, you know, would have, West have uh, yeah. people. So, yeah, it, D David, it's an interesting topic that we don't have time to cover today, <laughs> but it could be one that could uh, come up for discussion down the line. But now, those, say those people, do they, do they get any enumeration, uh, those, those coast care people? No, as far as if I know. If, no. if we're called away from no. work and you go down to the no. no, no, no. road for maybe the way of a day trying to bring no. in some Pure, Purely voluntary as far, as far as I'm aware. Oh, yeah. Listen, hopefully, as we've mentioned before, hopefully uh, issues get resolved. Now, David, we're going to head over to your favourite part of the county, <laughs> but, but, but we're, we're going to stop on the way, and I'm going to refer you to page 7 of The Champion. Uh, the OPW has re-engaged with Sharon Heritage Maintenance Road as debate over takeover and subventions continue. A nice picture there of a few horses being laid. Uh, out by dogs, hopefully not on a, a hunt where animals were killed, <laughs> I should hasten to mention, in front of the castle and Dirty Nellies. But uh, Owen Ryan is writing in relation to it. That's right, and uh, the title here is, uh, the headline here is Castle to Reopen Fully in April, which I suppose is, is very good news. Uh, but the next, the, the, the twist in the story is a new organisation, OPW, the Office of Public Works, the state agency, one of the oldest state agencies actually we have, I mean it was founded in the 19th century, uh, has re-engaged with Shannon Heritage maintenance role as debate over takeover and subventions continues. Now, I didn't realise that the OPW had any role with Bunratty, but seemingly it does because it says here, as Owen says, Owen Ryan says, Bunratty Castle and Folk Park will be open full-time next month, Minister of State Hildegard Nocton told it all last week. Claire TD Cottle Crow asked about the government plans to support local authorities taking over the attractions and Miss Nocton said she would continue to support Shannon Group in its engagement with the relevant local authorities to secure the future of the sites currently within Shannon Heritage. 
Um, and it, go, it just goes on to say that uh, the OPW, she says, I also advise the deputy that the OPW has agreed to re-engage on its maintenance responsibilities, which suggests that they had disengaged at some time. Yeah. Now, Owen doesn't tell us at what point they disengaged, but anyway, um, they have re-engaged on its maintenance responsibilities and role in respect of the maintenance of Bunratty Castle and King John's Castle. In preparation for undertaking the role, the OPW has been carrying out the necessary assessments of both buildings to inform the program of works needed. So um, that's an interesting development, and I think it's it's what what is probably not being said is the council through its negotiations have uh, obviously identified a role for the OPW to play that they've found, or at least the state has found uh, a role for the OPW, and that will help the councils to say, yeah. well, the state has come in now and are backing us, we need a little bit more support, but at least it's a start, and that may help the, the council to take over them. Yes, um, I see Owen Ryan has a second article there, and it's a picture of Nepal Castle, and I suppose it refers back to uh, the quip that Michal Martin came out with that basically Clare County Council, quote, should get on with it, regards taking over the tourist <laughs> attractions. Um, Monday's meeting, Councillor PJ Ryan put forward a motion asking that the Council would seek a meeting between the Taoiseach and Council CEO Pat Dowling to discuss the financial implications <laughs> of the proposed transfer. Yeah. I think the Taoiseach has a few more important things to be dealing Probably with. Probably a bit than, busy, uh, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but you know, we would be critical if, wouldn't we, if the council took on this and, and lost an awful lot of money. I mean, you have to do, as they call it, due diligence. Yeah, but knowing that Bunratty is very profitable, um, you could say that that is certainly one that they would take on. But it's a whole package. You can't just take on one and leave the nice, loss-making yeah. ones. Mm. And I, I know that Shannon Heritage did lose money on, on pl in places, in Craganone and other places, probably in Apogue as well. Yeah, but, but David, would the argument not be that, you know, you're not going to make profit mm. in all of these places, but they shouldn't be designed to make profit. Yeah. Now, if Bunratty obviously is probably the jewel in the crown, mm. Mm. you know, if the facilities there can generate uh, sufficient money yeah. to keep everything else on the road yeah. and that they have sufficient money to, you know, maintain and update them, is that not a win I, for I, everybody? I'd entirely but agree with you, uh, but Shannon Heritage was a commercial entity whose only purpose was to make money. Now that we have Clare County Council interested, which is there for the public mm. benefit, as you point out, Luke, um, I would agree that if there is one big, strong money maker in Bunratty Castle, that should be subsidising the others. In, in, parts of the, in parts of the county where you are trying to encourage, I mean, they ca they, I think many of, the institute, many of these um, attractions could actually wash their face if they were man mm -hmm. managed properly. properly yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know we go around places, you know, where you see, and I think the cliffs have done it, that there are various things. You can get a package if you want to yeah. go see mm -hmm. three or four places, you know, you get a little bit of reduction to go. But instead of going, we'll say, just to the cliffs and going nowhere else, if you go to a mm -hmm. venue, and you say, oh, there's five or six other venues within 20 or 30 miles of where you are, and here's 10 or 20% off. Aren't you more inclined to go visit yeah, the opportunity? You are, exactly. You know, exactly. So. We'll tell you, you, you have Nepal there, which is a lovely building. You, you imagine they had been a lovely place for weddings and yeah. other functions, such yeah. as maybe, exactly. I know they had the, they had the, 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 
they had the, the, the banquets there. Yeah, imagine yeah. The, 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 for weddings or like for anything, because it's a, it's a lovely venue. It is. Yeah. It it is. is. It's close to Craig and Owen as well. well you, it is. You use... Uh, I mean, the, you can't there. just... I mean, just having Bunratty. Bunratty is for, essentially, the non-Irish tourists, the American yeah. tourists that come in the bus, mm. and there needs to be a place for that. Yeah. There are other things, including Holy Island, where yeah. there will be a different type of yeah. market. I said, you know what we need, Pat? We need the Yanks back. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And but speaking of which, uh, <laughs> at the bottom of page seven, uh, Cahill Crow welcomes US tourist return and calls for a more balanced national aviation policy and so say all of us in a way. Page seven of the champion and uh, on Thursday, uh, flights recommenced from uh, transatlantic flights recommenced and, uh, you know, hopefully the start the restart of a little bit of normality, you know, yeah. in that inter intercontinental um, connectivity to the west of Ireland yeah. coming in through Shannon. It, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens because um, I'm sure the price of aviation fuel will be jumping soon enough and yes. the price of accommodation might also be jumping as we know if there's a particular shortage. We welcome these Americans but we, we, I certainly wouldn't be welcoming the other type of American that is currently using Shannon Airport. It's page six of the Clare Echo. Yeah. A story by Porig McMahon, uh, who uh, says, airport playing into forever wars with US military. And he's quoting there Fintan O'Toole, um, who has, as we, as most people will know, uh, is uh, one of the regular columnists in the Irish Times since 1988, um, and who is very critical of the ongoing use of Shannon by the US military. He believed it represented a sort of dishonesty this is Fintan O'Toole now, and little regard to potential implications. We're very afraid to say we don't agree with what we're doing in Iraq or Afghanistan. Talking about the flights to Shannon would involve us saying, why is this a problem? Like it or not, it is part of a system which is feeding into the, these forever wars. And America, as, as we know, has been constantly at war. Um, and if, if we do believe in neutrality, we shouldn't be facilitating the transport of arms or weapons or even men, soldiers, across our territories. But like in this country now, we don't go all for one and one for all. We're in the middle. So we're neutral when we like it. Yeah. But if we didn't let the lads land in Shannon, maybe American companies wouldn't come over and employ as many people as they do. So that mightn't be a good thing. Yeah, and, and even with even with Russia now, we're still not. Uh, there's the there's a Russian-owned company on our doorsteps, okay, the yeah. Russell Group, R U S A L, I think is how you how you mm. spell it, and they own Okinish Alumina, one of the primary aluminium manufacturers, yeah. and it's completely Russian-owned. I have a big debate on the radio this evening. About I, I heard the, the same debate. debate. About the money. Yeah. yeah, yeah about the money. The now, American, the, the, the Minister for Foreign Affairs says, oh, there's no Russian employed down there in the estuary, <laughs> but all the money is going to Russia. Yeah, but they're making yeah. all the profit. Yeah, they're, they're making all the profit. We're going to finish part one w with a, a line from Russia. 
And from you, Russia with no visitors? Well, no, well, it was certainly like uh, from Russia with no coal. Porik uh, uh, McGrathen writes on page two of the Echo, the ESB have confirmed it will not be taking the delivery of Russian coal at money point for the foreseeable future. And I like Porik's line at the end. The Clare Echo understands that staff based in Kalimer had informed management they would refuse to unload Russian coal if it landed at money point. Fair play <laughs> to them. Um, exactly. fa- fa- it's, it's rare that you see that and uh, it's it's uh, it's it's reassuring to kind of see it. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of when the those Dun stores workers refused um, or went on strike over apartheid. Uh, over apartheid. Yeah. It's very rare. It's we, we we don't see the Shannon Airport people refusing to work because um, of the of the U.S. military using there. But it, there is massive pressure on companies. I think we noticed it at the national media and uh, the international media how McDonald's, Coca Cola. Yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> effectively bowed to public pressure because mm. they hadn't withdrawn and closed their franchise over there mm. and they now have yeah well it, it, it'll all depend how for how long for how long. That's yeah. the thing. anyway yeah. listen over time i said i'm giving out to myself here now i thought we'd, i'd be able to keep two e under control <laughs> but, but, but no it hasn't worked out pat what are we going to play at uh, uh, play us out for the end of part one and uh, we will be going back over to our own side of the county East Clare for part two. Yeah, I suppose we left Christy Dignam and Edison with crazy, crazy walking. Okay. Fairly, fairly appropriate. Fairly appropriate. Fairly appropriate. Yes, right, mm. we'll be back in a few minutes. Now, Haslin, crazy world, and indeed it is a little bit of a crazy world. Who would have thought that six years ago uh, we, we thought the end of the world was Brexit? And look at us now. <laughs> Th- things have moved on. Now, Pat, uh, talking about things moving on, uh, just before we come back to our own side of the fence, you saw an article there in the living section on the champion, page three, page and it, it relates to the borough. Yeah, Tell it, us about it. It's an entertainment page here, and... Um, uh, Bourne set for huge US, US exposure, potential televi- television audience of 200 million people on PBS in the USA could see Bourne Heart of Stone documentary. A documentary about the Bourne that captivated Irish audiences on its release has begun to run on US television with a potential reach of up to 200 million people. Bourne Heart of Stone casts new light on our understanding of the region, presenting evidence of human activity in Ireland 20,000 years ago alien than previously known. Narrated by multi-award winning actor Brindley and the show is a two-part documentary that captured the unprecedented audience of one million people when it premiered the RT. Uh, the two-part series created by filmmaker Katrina Costello of Silver Branch Films, uh, Films will be broadcast to 90% of the US households to 200 million people and probably processing TV stations over a film one period. Uh, 
Yeah, PBS, which is the public, and and it'll be great, and it it presumably might attract a little bit of attention. If you want to break from all of the sad news that is out there, and staying on the theme of the burn, in the champion on page 10, there is something, a little piece called Burn Rocks, with geologist Dr. Eamon Doyle, and Pat mentioned the human role. Well, he's talking about much older role, and he's, he's talking about the fossils. Um, so there's a nice little short piece there about the 330 million years ago. Did you know that the burn at that point was a shallow sea? And uh, most of the fossil remains there are, are something called crinoids. So there's a little exercise now for you to find out what crinoids are. But it's a nice little distraction. There's a, a, a photograph in all of them there. And, and, there is. And they look like worms yeah. or something. Yeah, Dr. Raymond died here. Yeah. just. Okay, right, now listen, um, again, we've one last article before we come back. Nurses Pat, an article that's on page 9 of the Clare Champion. And Dan Danaher, um, uh, you know, a little bit like we, we thought that Brexit was bad news, it's a bit like, you know, COVID has been deemed to be, you know, a, a non-event anymore and it's all over. But uh, Dan Danaher has an article in the headline, Pat, is 8 out of 10 UHL nurses feel exhausted. Yeah, 8 out of 10, out, out, 8 out of every 10 nurses working in U, UHL felt exhausted at the end of the day according to the findings of the new survey. The findings of this INMO uh, co-incident with chronic overcrowding at UHL when 84 patients were on trolleys and wonder UL hospital group announced earlier this week UHL will be closed to inpatient visiting for a number of days while the hospital manages multiple outbreaks of COVID-19 and influenza across the site which remains extremely busy. As they say, say, Pat, it hasn't gone away, you know, to use it tomorrow. Well, 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 no, I I would say that COVID or no COVID, if there were eight out of ten nurses exhausted, with COVID, I'd say the number without COVID is about 7.9 because the hospital is not being ran on a fit-for-purpose uh, state Basis, yeah. for the last number of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's ser- serious problems. There. Uh, well, you, we have had of, 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 of trolley um, backing up there uh, over, over, over the last 10 or 15 years. So you, yeah. it's, it's a kind of an ongoing, an ongoing story year after year. Yeah, but it's a bit like what, what, what's been done about it. But it's a very interesting article and we, we'd encourage you all to uh, read it. And uh, now we're, go- we're coming back to our own neck of the woods, but uh, it would be remiss of me to uh, not mention in the paper that there are an inordinate number of photographs of the one and only Marty Morrison. Oh, yeah. And I want to give a special shout out to the photograph that's on page six because John S's favourite politician, <laughs> Councillor Mary Howard, is pictured at Marty's book signing in the book sh- in the Ennis bookshop on Saturday. And I think Marty, that might have been in relation to uh, the Ennis book club festival which was taking place. And uh, great to see two uh, pillars of Clare society there uh, lo- lo- looking great and well. Great and well. John S would absolutely Thrilled. Now, a man that isn't thrilled and was promising to give Irish water both barrels at a meeting uh, is on page 8 of the champion, and that is uh, Councillor Pat Hayes. So, David? 
Yeah, no, my, my initial thinking behind when I saw this was he going to give Irish water two barrels of water or, or something else? But it's actually two barrels of a shotgun, I think, is, is what Fiona McGarry is implying by the headline. And we have a picture here of Councillor Hayes. He's looking very, um, he's looking into the, into the, onto the horizon. He's very... Uh, pensive looking I would say but anyway he is um, he's has problems obviously with Irish water and he is among a number of members to express annoyance at the manner in which Irish water treated the authority this is the local authority over an online briefing last month and we reported on this last month uh, it was a very quick sort of a meeting the councillors didn't have much time to ask questions so uh, he said he would not hold back in telling Irish Water what he thought of the process to date of consultation with the council. It's just deplorable, and this is a quote from him, it's just deplorable that we have to go through all this effort to try and get a public body to come to talk to us when it's trying to promote a scheme that is proposing to take water from the Shannon to supply the other side of the country, he said. So anyway, that meeting, I understand, is happening, uh, is happening as we speak. Um, so presumably we'll get a report on it at the next at this meeting I do believe you know the, we said the, the one that happened before no media were allowed to attend yeah, and yeah. I know uh, Pat brought that up uh, we'll say on the radio here and uh, as a result partly as a result of that I think uh, you know uh, I, I won't say an apology was issued but uh, I think a, a commitment to allow the media attend further meetings uh, was given yeah. so we, we look forward to seeing what's coming out of that but you know uh, a 13-week public consultation process closes on March 14th which is basically in one or two days time so if you want to sort of get your oar in pardon the pun <laughs> uh, you need to go to water.ie and uh, uh, as Pat, uh, Pat what, what's, your, what's your current charge now for uh, exporting water back up to the dogs? Yeah, well, maybe maybe we should be getting the money for us to take on because we have uh, we have wastewater problems all over all over the county here in villages around the country. And I think there's actually a story there about um, about people swimming in 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 in, in, um, in the sea back and getting sick. And um, the, the and the, the reason is that. Uh, yeah, and that go, goes back to the whole so thing in relation to, to the county development see, plan, yeah. you know, for which uh, I think uh, comments are still open until the end of the month on that, and That's we right. encourage you to sort of put your comments in for that. Now, we're going to move on because the clock is against us. Uh, also on page 8 of the champion there, just underneath that, and uh, there is a wonderful picture on page 1 of the champion. Uh, but Dan Danaher has an article in relation to Killaloo Cathedral. So David, do you want to tell us about it? Yeah, two lovely pictures there, as you say, Luke. Uh, for whom the bell tolls? And the first picture on the front page is the, this, the, the bells, one, two, three, four, five. There's at least uh, eight, maybe seven bells there that we can actually see up on the tower of the Killaloo Cathedral, uh, St. Flannan's Cathedral in Killaloo. And on page eight, the title is Bright Future Ahead for Historic Killaloo Cathedral. The story is, as you say, by Dan Danaher. And uh, plans have been unveiled to transform St. Flannan's Cathedral, Killaloo, into a major new community arts and music venue with the projected expenditure of an estimated 500,000 euro over the next year. The upgrading of this iconic 13th century building has been described as an amazing project by local conservation architect. And the two conservation architects are pictured here. 
uh, on both pictures, Drake Hurrigan, they're a, a husband and wife team. They're locally based as well, which is good to see. And also uh, the vestry committee is represented by Jonathan Harper. And at work is a stonemason, um, Gary Leonard of Paul Leonard Construction. He looks as if he's got a brush there. And it's not, you, you don't do this sort of thing with a concrete render. This is proper lime rendering, which is quite difficult work. Um, and you, you people will see if they travel down Killaloo, the scaffolding is up around the tower. But if you look at the picture very closely there at the back, you'll see actually where the work, it's the, the pointing of the building needs to be done. And that's effectively, if that's not done, the water will get in and will destroy the, that very important building. So it's great to see um, that, uh, that, that it's happening. Clare County Council assisted the Vestry Committee by processing an application that resulted in the allocation of €50,000 from the Historic Structures Fund from the Heritage Section of the Department of the Environment. And former Council Conservation Officer Dick Cronin is helping the committee as a heritage advisor. The committee are in regular contact with the Council and Office of Public Works concerning their plans. So it's a very, very big project and it's great to see it happen. It, it'll, in, it'll mean that that building is secured for another hundred years yes. or more. Yeah. yeah, and hopefully they have enough money to do it's it because it's that's not a cheap... Uh, it's not a cheap... It's a big building. Yeah. And it's uh, it's in the oldest park down in Kildare, and you 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 imagine that it to be a nice place for all types of concerts. Well, it is, and we know that that regular annual uh, yeah. uh, concert uh, yeah. series um, is 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 a regular event in there, and they obviously mm. want more of that. Yes, yes and they had a, they had an art exhibition there of local artists uh, in the last few weeks as well. Yeah, right. I, I I just see there beside that article there on page eight, two two people were rescued on Loch Derg. Uh, last weekend, we said the 5th of March, when uh, uh, their 37-foot yacht ran aground on the, clear, on the clear shore of Loch Derg. And, you know, we talk about uh, the people in Doolan area, but mm -hmm. we, we also need to acknowledge the great work done by the Coast Guard that are based in Killaloo, the only yeah. inland Coast Guard in the country, and uh, they do a fabulous job, and again, all volunteers, yeah. and a great time and commitment give, given by When all. it works, it works well. Absolutely, it does. Now, uh, Pat, uh, we're nearly at an end, but the uh, St. Joseph's uh, Secondary School in Tullow were in action last weekend, and sadly, their uh, journey for this year has yeah. come to an end. The, 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 the story here on, the, it's just on page 17 of the sport, and uh, a bridge too far for St. Joseph's, our Ireland Post Primary School is. Cup semi-final and um, Derek Dormer has the story and um, I suppose uh, they had a great they had a great campaign to win, win the Hockey Cup and so they had, they had been four very strong colleges in Munster now um, uh, I think terms if, if anyone read, read the story you know, Derek has the story of the of the semi-final oh, yeah. I attended the game and there was a, if there was a fine crowd there there was a big crowd at it and uh, um, I suppose um, Saint Kieran's were that bit stronger and physically, and about um, uh, uh, the new, the new, the new channel now in hurling is the mid, the mid <laughs> and they were able to, they were able to, they were bringing the bars, they were the hooks and all that kind of yeah. stuff, you know. They were winning, winning the breakdown, as they say in the rugby. So the, the cute cats, so I suppose. They had a pretty strong team, and they were very physically. When I see them come out from the field, they were saying, "Geez, this is like the kick in the scene or two." Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll just read it. If I, um, yeah. an editor read Terence's uh, reaction here, Terence Fahey was the manager. Beaten by a far better outfit on the day, a far more clinically quicker to the breaking ball, a far sharper. The match practice, the day got through the back door, started in uh, gradually grinding up the gears against Kilkenny, CBS and Gart. We had a very broken want, we had injury problems, we needed our, our capacity today. We needed our capacity today. Unfortunately, we didn't have it, and they did with, with and they did with a few Kilkenny miners returning from injury. We had, huge, we, we had huge asks all year, but today was the biggest ask of all. They are the real king, king, kingpins of colleges hurling. We never gave up. We are great, we had great times. Our characters were one of the hearty club. We had a year of years. We have the medals in the cup and we will further be under all of honor. Exactly, and they can never take yeah. that away. We just couldn't know? be proud of them. Nothing went their way today and um, we're going to and never give up. So they, they have they, they had a great year, so Yeah, ex exactly. Now, I said, one article I forgot to mention, David, which is on these player uh, page 13 of the champion. Now, it's was spoken about before but basically it relates to Holy Island and uh, UNESCO designation is on hold so tell yeah, us about Yeah and uh, this is to be fair to Deputy Michael McNamara he is pursuing this in the doll on a regular basis. Uh, it's international recognition for Inish culture and the burn on a list of world heritage sites has hit a delay Claire's independent TD has been told. An announcement was due to be made this month uh, but responding to Deputy McNamara's parliamentary question on the matter, Minister Darrow O'Brien said he had requested an expert advisory group, it's always an expert advisory group by the way, to undertake further technical assessment of the applications on the list. Now, the Clare sites are in competition with some very important sites around the country. Um, the passage tomb landscape of County Sligo, the transatlantic cable ensemble at Valencia and Newfoundland, Glendalock Valley in Wicklow and the royal sites of Ireland, um, at Rathcrohan, uh, which John uh, John S. Kelly will be happy to see. Tower he complex he, he, he doesn't doors. No, no, he doesn't. <laughs> but the department has said that uh, only the Sligo application is worth progressing with because yep. all of the other applications are deficient. Now, that points out, well, why are they deficient? And it is the councils, as far as I know, are supposed to be preparing the applications. But anyway, yes. the minister, to be fair to him, has said he will reconvene the expert advisory group to give the applicants a better chance at uh, revising their applications. Right, well, hopefully they get the lid out and uh, do, a, do a better job. Right. Right. Now, I said we're sort of running over time uh, as per usual, David. Thank you very much for your contribution. Thank you, Luke. Pat, thank you very much. Thank you. We're going to finish up with a dignified music, I think. That'd be how we describe it. Yeah, we're going to enter the last Andrew Rio, is it? I, I can never pronounce his surname either. So, what are we going to be listening to anyway? The second waltz, uh, Luke. Oh, and uh, waltzing. Well, we should waltz out to Dover. <laughs> so okay, folks, that's it. Uh, thank you very much for uh, listening to local media this week. Uh, Jim and John S. hopefully will be back in their chairs ne next week and uh, we shall talk to you soon so support your local media buy a paper read the papers and make your contributions known so goodbye